welcome or welcome back to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy and Josh, and on tonight's show we will be discussing season two, episode 24, 25? <laughs> 20, I believe it is 25. 25? Who even 25. Knows? 25. <laughs> Bounty. Yes. Well, it, it was nice while it lasted. <laughs> so first of all, I'd like to point out, you have now said that exact intro more than 50 times. No, I don't usually talk about 25. No, but the greetings crew members and... Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. We really... It, the funny thing is we, we could like record it and just keep playing it back, but she doesn't want to. So, you Sometimes get you I get do a brand, it better than other times. You get a brand new one every single time. But yeah, that that episode, um, what you said. Sometimes they do it better than other times. This was not. I think this was one of the other times. Uh huh. Yeah, just like we had a string of I don't know. We were up to like four or five episodes that were pretty decent at worst and great at best. And uh, it couldn't last. I think I liked this episode more than you did. Oh my god, this episode was garbage. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't good, and it's got some serious flaws. But there were aspects of it, maybe ones you wouldn't expect, that I enjoyed more than I expected to. Okay, so do you remember that episode from earlier in the season where Tucker and the space princess like made out in a swamp? Yes. And how garbage that episode was. It was Shrek. But also it was really but also it was really fun. Mm-hmm. This episode was like that one if it weren't fun. I see. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll mostly give you that. Ah, oh, jeez, what a load. <laughs> oh, let let your feelings out. Oh, I will, don't worry. Give in to your anger. I'm not sure what's happening right now. I'm oh, no, Trudy, mixing stay. a little bit of Star Wars into my Star Trek podcast. Oh, uh, okay. Are you caught in the cords? Oh, no. Oh. Oh, oh good. She's uh, she freed. She's out and outside. Okay, so anyway, back to the episode. Yes. If we must. We must. We must. Shall, shall I summarize this? In a sec. So, we did check one thing before doing this. We looked at the UPN trailer for this episode. Oh, it was it was exactly what you expect. It was exactly what you expect. In the sense that they didn't even mention one whole half of the episode. Correct. This episode was all about DePaul must have sex or die. (laughs) Yep, apparently. (laughs) That is my UPN trailer voice uh, impersonation. (laughs) It's not very good. That's okay. They don't deserve a very good impersonation. <laughs> oh, I wonder who that poor guy is. <laughs> I hope he at least got paid a decent sum for yeah. what he did. All right, you're up. Okay. Well, after a string of good to great episodes, Berman and Braga couldn't just let the show be consistent or we might get bored and stop loving them or something. In What is Enterprise Ripping Off This Week, we have some bizarre and unholy combination of Midnight Run 
and one of any number of sexploitation horror films about succubi, both halves of which are decidedly inferior to their source material. In the main plot, highly competent and savvy captain of the Enterprise, Jonathan Archer, is kidnapped yet again and thrown in a holding cell yet again, this time by a Tellarite bounty hunter who plans to turn him back over to the Klingons again. At first, it seems that this bounty hunter is a hardened professional who doesn't give a crap what Archer did or didn't do as long as he gets his payoff. But that's only because he hasn't heard any inspiring Archer speeches yet. In the B-plot, we have an astonishingly brazen appeal to what the Enterprise producers apparently believe is the large portion of their audience comprised of horny teenage boys who use Star Trek as the TV equivalent of a Playboy centerfold. A strange microbe Oof. from a strange planet triggers to Paul's Vulcan mating cycle, which uh, we'll get into that later, I guess. And she tries very aggressively to get it on with Phlox, who for this episode only has transformed into a Catholic priest. <laughs> while they're both in that freaking decon chamber where all this garbage happens. Will Archer escape the Klingons again? Will T'Pol be saved from herself and the writers? What exactly is so wrong and undignified about scrubbing plasma injectors? It's better than starring in this episode. The star of the show, Porthos, also has too much dignity to be part of this. Fair. Yeah, if I was Porthos, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near this. Nope. Okay. Yeah, alright. Let me Especially just. Especially since T'Pol started going on about any male, Vulcan or otherwise. And I think that's a step too far, even for UPN. Really? Really what? That's well, I, a step too far for UPN? I, I don't follow what she she just wants to meet. Like, this is, that's what Ponfar is. Uh-huh. And that's why I'm saying it's good Porthos didn't appear in the episode. Okay, fair. Fine, fine, fine. Oh, okay. Um... Trivia! Yeah! <laughs> Happy things! Cool. Let's Sounds talk good. about the thing you didn't mention at all in there. Okay. The Tellarites. I mentioned the Tellarites. I uh, said it was Tellarite Bounty Hunter. Oh, okay, fine. But yeah, um, do you know when the Tellarites first appeared on Star Trek? Was it Journey to Babel? It was! Good job! Journey to Babel. Um... Yeah, that great episode we got to meet uh, Sarah and Amanda. Yeah, and where we learned about Spock's fat teddy bear with the fangs. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, how about what was, aside from uh, the movies, Star Trek Four and Six, where Tellarites appeared, what was the previous Star Trek TV episode um, that had Tellarites in it? Huh? So, so Tellarites are originated in Journey to Babel. Okay. I'll give you a clue. There are exactly two episodes of any Star Trek series before this one that Tellarites were in uh, after Journey to Babel. Oh, jeez. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So one of them was Whom Gods Destroy. That was another is, original series episode. It was. And then there was one animated series episode. Okay. And then the Tellarites didn't appear aside from like archival footage in anything else until this very episode huh yeah um the makeup guys had like been wanting to to bring the tellarites back but uh it never came back until you know this one this you know enterprise has been kind of doing this thing where they're bringing back original series uh 
um, aliens that didn't really show up very much. Yeah, this was at least an established original series alien species, even if they only showed up in a couple of episodes. Yep. Um, and they'll be showing up more. They've, they've shown up a bunch since. Um, I wonder why the writers never wanted to bring them back, because they seem like they have potential, despite this episode. Well, I mean, they didn't really have any uh, much established characteristics other than their faces look like kind of like pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing that they, they weren't big fans of the uh, prosthetics. The original series prosthetics were pretty intense. Like, it was actually very difficult for the actors to see through them. Oh, I'm sure and it they was. they were kind of like breathing the, through little straws. They had the pig mask eye holes and mm -hmm. yeah. Um, it looked like they did a pretty heavy retool of the Tellarite makeup for this they episode. They did. I so. mean, they also retooled it for the movies. and Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's come a long way. Okay. But yeah. Well, well, cool. It's a shame they had to show up in this episode. They were it, one of the less offensive parts of this episode. In the Apparently, in the original uh, script, it was just an unnamed alien captain. And then someone or other was like, hey, let's bring back the Tellarites. And they're like, okay, sure. Well, this episode had like eight credited writers on it, which is another thing I don't understand. Like, with that many people in the room, surely somebody can speak up to say... Maybe this is a bad idea and or totally inconsistent with other episodes we have written in the past. Perhaps we should rethink this. But no one did. No one did. Yeah. Also, Roxanne Dawson directed this? Roxanne Dawson directed this. Huh. <sighs> they must have paid her a decent amount. I don't know. Probably the same as they pay most uh, directors. Yeah. I don't know, just like this doesn't feel like, I don't know, this this impression is based entirely on like stereotypes and things. That one this, movie she made? This doesn't feel like an episode of Star Trek that a woman directed. Ah. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know. I'm not even going to call it male gaze. I'm just going to call it 14-year-old boy gaze. It was weird because there was gazing not only at... At Tapal, who looks like an attractive human female to 14-year-old boys, but also at Phlox, who looks like a strange alien. Which, like, yay equality? I don't even know. In that part of the episode, I guess. I don't even yeah, know. I was very... Why don't we move on? Yeah, okay, yeah. Let's let's do that. All right. Um, so, short summary, bad episode. But let's talk about the good parts. Okay. You might have noticed more of these than I did. Time so for I the pluses. Into pluses and minuses. I guess okay. I will start it. Um, it's always delightful when, when Archer is as dense as he always is. Maybe maybe this shouldn't be a plus. I was gonna say, is that a plus? <laughs> but like, I, like I guess consistent Archer characterization is kind of a plus. I, I actually, yeah, yeah. Good thing someone was consistent this episode. <laughs> I really liked the obvious trap that he walked into. <laughs> oh, yes, surely I will help you enjoy your surely <laughs> clearly <laughs> trap. Clearly, uh, 
And this is why they need T'Pol on the bridge, because T'Pol would have totally been like, this is a trap, don't do this. Nope, but... true. T'Pol was busy trying to get Phlox not to go try to lick up saliva samples or something. <laughs> Apparently. I didn't totally understand what they were doing, but it's fine. But yes, I love that that's one of your pluses. Archer is as dumb as he always is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh... The guest star was good and had some good lines. I I agree. I the the major guest star whose name I've already forgotten. Jordan Lund. Yes, Jordan Lund. I thought he did a great job. He's been in a few episodes as like Various... characters I don't remember. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think he's usually under pretty heavy makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was good. It, like he was fine. Um, mm-hmm. He had a couple of lines that I really liked. Same, same. I was a big fan of, I'm sure you're not a bad person, just an unlucky one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was a fan of, uh, you know, he's, you don't even know what I'm accused of. You're right. And I don't care to. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, just, oh, I liked it. He was, he was more fun pre-inspiring Archer speech, but... Uh, I guess so. Yeah. But that's the way they always are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have written down, I'm sure you're not a bad person, just an unlucky one, and then in parentheses, or a really, really dumb one. <laughs> he is pretty dumb. Um, I enjoyed that old Crazy Eyes is back. It was a very small role. Yeah, that's the thing. You wanted more? Um, yeah, that's in my minuses column. Oh, wow. Okay. It is... It is on my minuses column as Waste of Robert O'Reilly. Okay. I'm just happy to see him. He played Gowron, if you didn't know. Yeah, I guess. But if Robert O'Reilly's in the guest stars, I want to see Gowron. That's just the way it is. Gowron hasn't been born yet. Maybe he can be one of Gowron's ancestors. That's the kind of pandering I want to see. All right, then. We already had one of Duras's ancestors. Who, was that him who showed up in this episode for like five seconds? Uh, I don't know. I think it might have been. In any case, we've had one of Duras's ancestors show up. Why not one of Gowron's? Don't know what to say. But in any case, I'm glad you were glad to see him. He did just as a warm and fuzzy feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vulcan database description, or maybe it was T'Pol's description, I don't remember, of the Tellarites was amusing. What was it they said? That they are disagreeable. Mm-hmm. Like, the Vulgans are not known for being extraordinarily agreeable and eager to please themselves. Mm-hmm. Though I would say that the major characteristic of the Tellarites in this was not disagreeable. No, it really wasn't. They were kind of just like people. Yeah. Which is also like, they're okay. They're more or less humans. Yeah, which is also... Yeah, they were humans with big Santa beards and kind of like pig-like facial features. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's okay for a species, especially a major one, not to have one single defining characteristic. It is. I agree. Um, I like the uh, the decoy buoys. Oh yeah, those were fun. That feels like technology that uh, other ships should have. I mean, you only really need it if you're trying to evade being caught. Which the NX-01 is, constantly. I guess so, yeah. Like, this feels like something that uh, 
Archer or Tucker or somebody should immediately call Admiral Forrest and be like, we need these on our ship stat. Yeah, I like the decoy buoys being used in it, and I liked uh, Trip and Malcolm's uh, reaction to the decoy bu- buoys. Get rid of it. With pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was fun. Uh, I- I- I'm out, so keep going. Oh boy, oh boy, okay. Um, you're gonna you're, you're gonna be mad at me for this. Okay, no, for, first... I'm not gonna be mad at you, I might laugh at you. Okay. Okay, so first, um, I I kind of appreciated the story between the the freighter dude and his brother. I don't know. I thought it was well done. You haven't seen Midnight Run, have you? I haven't seen Midnight Run. Okay, so I think one of the problems was that... Is this exactly Midnight Run? This is exactly Midnight Run. Or rather, this is Midnight Run if it didn't star Robert De Niro, and if Midnight Run took itself really seriously. I, I guess it doesn't. So Midnight Run is like a bounty hunter kidnap comedy from like the 80s, early 90s, one of those areas. Okay. Um, And it is basically this exact plot, except that everybody is a human. Except that it's really funny, and Robert De Niro stars in it, and Robert De Niro and who was his co-star in that? It might have been Charles... Yeah, I think it was Charles Grodin. It's been a little while, but I think it was those two. They have, like, a really, really fun on-screen relationship. Mm-hmm. And this A-plot was like that if you sucked all the life out of it. I'm sure I'm not the first person who's made this comparison, because it's... If I'm you've sure. seen Midnight Run, it's too, like... That's constantly what's going to be going on. And so I feel like you may have had the advantage in enjoying this episode, because you have not seen Midnight Run. Okay. Okay, fair enough. All right. Okay. Um, all right. Now on to the stuff you're going to get mad at. The middle of the episode in the B-plot, I thought was actually well done. I thought that uh, Billingsley and Blaylock were acting the heck out of it. I thought that the whole uh, keypad code, like decoy, was pretty cool. And I didn't actually know what was going to happen here. I know Archer's going to get rescued. That's how it always happens. True. I didn't know what was going to happen with DePaul. Uh, And I also thought that once they brought out the environmental suits, like, that was, like, a tense sequence. Like, yes, uh, he's in an environmental suit. What are you going to do? But, like... Apparently, paw at his helmet a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I th- I thought that it was actually very engaging. The the whole middle part where it went from the weird oversexualization into this is actually dangerous. She is going to overpower you and uh you know, she is a threat. I will let you have this for now, and then I will come back and crap on it in the minuses list. Well, that's my last plus. Oh, okay. So you want to do it? All right, let's talk about this B-plot. Let's. So I'm, so, okay, so the B-plot is, in a little more detail than I put into it in to my Paul's summary. having pawn far. To Paul's having pawn far. Wants to mate with Phlox. Because he's the nearest available Yes. Male thing. And if not Flocks, then anyone else. Um, 
the Ponfar is triggered by some microbe that she picked up on the planet and will be cleansed once she gets rid of it. Okay, let's talk first about the Ponfar. Sure, sure. First of all, has it not been previously established that Ponfar is a thing that Vulcan males go through? We know Vulcan males go through it. I don't know if it's only Vulcan males. Never before have we seen or heard of an example of a Vulcan female going through Ponfar. But it doesn't mean that they don't. I don't think they ever said that it was exclusive to males. We would probably have to go back and watch a mock time, which is where they introduced the concept of Ponfar again. Mm-hmm. But I really do feel like this might have at least been heavily implied to be a males-only thing. Hmm? Maybe. Like, Ponfar has never made that much sense as a concept. Like, just what a liability as a... Mm-hmm. as a species that you would think they would have evolved out of at this point. And but... not only that, but like, uh, in this episode, they didn't even mention the fact that you can just murder someone and, and that also satisfies the Ponfar. Maybe that's not true for females. The females have to mate with a male Oh, the die. females can't just murder someone? Guess not. Oh, no. Um, also... T'Pol indicated in some of her dialogue that this was the first Ponfar that she had ever been through. Uh-huh. Isn't T'Pol supposed to be significantly older than most of the Enterprise crew? Yes. And don't we see in Star Trek Three, newly mm. baby Spock going through his first Ponfar when he's like the equivalent of a human teenager? You are correct that we do see that in Star Trek Three. It is possible that... His uh, hormones are a little bit weird because of, you know, death, Genesis planet, all that stuff. Yeah, and also like accelerated aging. But I was under the impression that he had just accelerated to the age where it was normal for both for basically Vulcan males to go through puberty. I, I believe Spock went through his first his first Ponfar during the Enterprise's five year mission. And I believe Spock was also... Uh, Maybe not significantly older than the rest of the crew, but, you know, at least around their same age. Maybe, but also, like, in a previous episode that these writers clearly forgot about, of Enterprise, T'Pol was supposed to be married. Like, T'Pol was being called back to Vulcan because she had been in an arranged marriage or something like that. I've already and forgotten that. And then she decided that. not to go through with it. Well, I hadn't. I remembered every dumb thing that the writers didn't remember for this episode. That's good, because there, there's a lot of things the writers didn't remember for like, this surely, episode. Sure, like, like, surely she has reached sexual maturity by the time they expect her to get married. So let's just say that they have done a lot of setup that it, indicating that it is difficult for me to believe that if Vulcan females do in fact go through Ponfar... This is T'Pol's first Ponfar. Okay, okay. I mean, I don't think that Ponfar is the only time they mate. They can mate whenever they want to. But this is just when they have to. Like I said, they never set up anything impossible. They just set up a bunch of things that were improbable. Okay, I'll give you that. Um... This is a minor thing, but T'Pol was very clearly not punching in the code that Flocks gave her on that keypad. You are assuming that those numbers are in order. <laughs> I'm assuming they're in some kind of order. Nope, they are completely random. <sighs> okay. 
But yeah, 42864, no, she was definitely not punching that in if those nope. uh, key buttons were in order. Nope. Um, let's see what else we got. In do, here. do you want me to say anything? You can. Go ahead. I don't want to talk forever. You sure? I mean, no, but you're also a host of this podcast. You should say things about the B-plot or the A-plot every so often. Which one do you want? B-plot or A-plot? Pick one. Okay. Um, I'm going to stay on the B-plot for a while, so... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in for the B-plot. We'll come back for the A-plot later. Um, in general, why do you still have this decontamination chamber? Anything that goes on in the decontamination chamber is always bad. Because... Always you, bad. Because UPN is revealing their true intentions, which is to, like, have a softcore porno series that takes place entirely in the decon <sighs> chamber. They're just like, oh no... We can't have enough sex on WWE. <laughs> Therefore, we need to put it on Enterprise. They did not have a lot of sex on WWE. That's not what pro wrestling is. I know, which is why they needed to put it on Enterprise. As I recall... I think UPN might have had other shows, but I'm not sure. As I recall, UPN had a cartoon starring Pamela Anderson called Stripperella that ran for a little while. I think they were getting their fill other places. Okay, okay, fine. Anyway, go ahead. But yeah, that happened. All right, now, let's talk about flocks for a moment. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you said that both uh, both JBs, John Billingsley and Jolene Blaylock, were acting the heck out of this, but also just I felt so bad for them. They looked so miserable during <laughs> this. Like, that was the thing. They were clearly trying their best because they're professionals, but they didn't look like they were having any fun. They are so professional. And John Billingsley almost always looks like he's having fun. So this was, uh... Part like, of that, like, part of that is that they they wrote him not as Phlox. That, indeed. That is part of it. Phlox, um, Phlox is not embarrassed about sex. No, what has Phlox been embarrassed about sex. Flox was very confused when Tucker didn't want to get it on with his wife. Yeah. Flox is like, I will show you pictures. Flox is like, always... Way back in season one, which the writers didn't watch, clearly, Flox wanted to, like, watch two members of the crew getting it on in an early episode for study purposes. Yeah. They... They didn't write He has consistently made fun of the human males for being such prudes about sex. If Phlox were, in fact, in this episode, which <laughs> instead of pseudo Phlox, as we got... Yeah, instead of whoever this, like, stereotype Boy Scout was... Then what would have happened would have been... Uh, T'Pol would have been like, I need to mate with you right now. And Phlox would have been, like, right. been like, are you sure about that? <laughs> And DePaul would have been like, yes. And Phlox would have just been like, all right, sign this paper and let's go. <laughs> well, especially after T'Pol said, like, we have to mate or I will die. Phlox would have been like, all right, <laughs> I guess we're doing this. My ethics says that I must not treat a patient who does not want treatment. But... Okay, speaking of things the writers didn't remember about their own series, and this one occurred like four episodes ago, so they really have no excuse. You remember that dumb argument that Phlox and Archer had, where Phlox said, and I quote, I looked this up in my own notes, in Denobulan medical ethics, the will of the patient is 
like is primary or takes primacy or something like that. He did not just say the patient always has the right to refuse treatment. He said the will of the patient is the most important thing. Okay, that that does no. No, I'm I'm not No, to me what this means is that if the patient comes to you and says I am sick in this way, I want this treatment that you have at least like some reason to believe is going to work, you should give it to them. No. No. Yes. I disagree. Yes. Uh, that is a very exceptional sort of treatment, and it doesn't no matter. doctor there should be weird... required to provide that. It doesn't... I mean, no, but he, he's been trying to stress that denobulin medical ethics are different. If they had actually chosen to, like, pursue this in a sensible and logically consistent manner, that could have been, like, an interesting difference between... No, no. Like, I, I don't think that Denobulum medical ethics in any way compels Flocks to uh, mate with T'Pol. On the other hand, Flocks's medical curiosity does compel Flocks to mate with T'Pol and to take careful notes while doing so. That is true. Like, it doesn't necessarily require him to mate with T'Pol, but I think it requires him to find someone to mate with T'Pol. It's got to be him. Anyone else might get exposed to the microbe. <sighs> I feel like this is a risk that probably either Tucker or Reed would be willing to take. Yeah, probably. Like, Reed was pretty close to being willing to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there was that, and then there was also just Flox's general comments about how denobulin males are embarrassed by nudity and sex. And yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. He apparently installed a curtain in the decon chamber only for himself because some of us aren't comfortable disrobing in front of others. It's like, of all the people on the ship who would be uncomfortable disrobing in front of others, you are at the bottom of that list. Mm -hmm. Who are you and what have you done with Flox? Yeah. Are, are we done... Are we done talking about how much the writers forgot who Phlox was? <sighs> I guess. All right, so let's talk about how much the writers forgot about who the Klingons are. Why does their ship have escape pods? <laughs> Klingon ships should not have escape yes. pods. I thought, oh, Archer must be climbing into a torpedo tube. Because surely the Klingons won't have escape pods. Come on! Nope, the Klingons have escape pods. And you know what? I think that was the same escape pod that they used in that uh, crappy episode with Tucker and the Space Princess. Because <sighs> it looked very similar. It had the same, like, tin can shape. Most escape pods will. But anyway. <sighs> but yeah, the Klingons have escape pods now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some crappy CG in this episode. I didn't even notice. <laughs> there, so in the generally fun scene where they blew up the decoy beacon. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was that wasn't even CG. That's just like, all right, and now we remove the beacon uh, <laughs> object and we just paste on this animated GIF that I found of an explosion from a website that I saw from the nineteen nineties. <laughs> We pulled this from a GeoCities page. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, just like, ah, y'all are out of money and we can all tell. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. There was a planet that that uh, Archer and the Bounty Hunter sat down on. 
and it looked like a moon. Like, there are craters, and you can see straight to the stars. Mm-hmm. I, I, that planet looked an awful lot to me. Like, it doesn't have an atmosphere. Yeah, it did. Like, the reason that the moon has craters on it and the Earth, like, doesn't have visible craters everywhere is because the Earth has an atmosphere with wind that, like, covers up craters. And erodes them away, and the moon does not. And, you know, seeing straight to the stars, like, yes, you can often do that at night, but you can always do that on the moon because there's no atmosphere to have um, uh, Rayleigh scattering to cause the sky to be blue. Um, yeah, that, that was an odd choice. It was. I didn't take particularly careful note of that, but... Uh... You also you probably correct. don't think about really scattering very often. I This is the first time I've ever heard it called that, so T-I-L. It's why the sky is blue. Okay. I just learned the sky is blue because it reflects blue light, which uh, is a very tautological explanation. It actually reflect. It, it's not that simple, but we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was not a very enlightening explanation that I received from that, like, kitty science book I had in fifth grade. After this episode, I will uh, teach you why the sky's blue. Okay, dear. Um, the I had just come up with one that I had forgotten to write down. Oh, this is not a this episode criticism. This is a general later Star Trek series criticism that this episode also perpetrated. Why do you all have such horrendously impractical money? Oh, <laughs> gold, press, gold press latinum has already been established to be like the most annoying thing to carry around. Like part of the advantage of currency is that it is portable. It is portable and convenient. And like we stopped using basically actual gold for currency because among other things, it was annoying and dangerous to carry giant sums of gold around, and so we developed currency that was just backed by gold. I think the uh, implication is that uh, counterfeiting is a major problem in the age of replicators. I mean, I guess, but still, your currency is so impractical. Oh. It's like, just nobody can put that in a wallet. I mean, when they, when they want to, they kind of just, like agree to exchanges on their pads and it's kind of like writing a check i mean i guess but then you still have to just like hand somebody a giant amount of metal at some point don't you no i think you let your bank hand it to their bank if you do it with a check somebody's got to exchange a giant amount of metal yeah just it has been established frequently that star trek doesn't really understand the purpose of money or how money works this is just another example of that i guess this means that there are probably like probably Ferengi, who are like cargo haulers, but they're just hauling gold-pressed latinum they're from like, one bank to another. They're like future bank tellers? No, <laughs> no, no. They're like the guys who drive around armored trucks. Mm, okay. And they they take care of the large uh, bank transactions, except on an interstellar uh, basis. The thing is, if you handed a Ferengi an armored truck full of gold-pressed latinum, Yeah, I, I know, which is why it's it. funny. It's It's funny that way. But the thing is, I can't imagine anyone else doing it. Yeah, you'd have to find somebody else and persuade them it was a good deal for them. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, there was that. This episode also featured highly impractical money. Okay, okay. Um, I was a little bit amused that uh, Captain Archer is cheating. He's got an auto-aim turned on to his uh, Klingon Disruptor that he stole. Um, when he, like, dove to the floor, both Klingons missed, and then he, like... Fires two shots without actually moving his uh, disruptor very much, and both of them are perfect hits. Like, uh, yeah, no. Bakula did not aim correctly to hit those Klingons. That was someone cheating with an auto-aim. Yep. Sure was. Like, ban Bakula from the multiplayer. <laughs> Definitely. Um... His holding cell had a stupid design. Oh, the one with those, uh, those light colors that... Yeah, the light colors that made the little web. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure they were actually emitting a force field that covered the entire front of the cell. But it definitely looked like Archer could have just crawled out on his belly at any time. Because uh -huh. there was a giant gap in the mm -hmm. bottom. And it would have been so easy to just close that gap. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I guess it looked kind of neat, but it didn't do... It lets you know where the where the force field is so that you don't accidentally bump into it. Yeah, I guess, but, like, again, would it have been so hard to just add a bar across the bottom that prevented the bottom access? Yeah, okay. Fair, fair enough. Silly um, design choice. Lastly, I will come back to the pond far. And this is not a thing with this episode. This is a thing with Star Trek. How many times have we had the Pawn Far happen and the Vulcan immediately says, I must mate or I will die. And then by the end of the episode, they do neither. <laughs> it happened on Voyager at least once. I believe twice. Once with Vincent Vork and, oh, uh, yeah. and once, once with, with Tuvok. Tuvok. It's happened with Spock, and now it's happened with T'Pol. All right. And no one ever mates or dies. No one ever mates with a uh, as with someone real. Uh, Tuvok did with a hologram. Oh, and then there was a hologram uh, of his wife. Yes. Oh, um, and then there was uh, then there was Baby Spock in Star Trek Three, who did mate. Who did mate? Who did mate with uh, with Kirstie Alley? Yeah, but. Uh, so that so there's the one time it actually happened, and you know yeah. what you know what didn't happen in that in that movie. At no point did Spock go up to Kirk and say, "I must mate or I will die." <laughs> the one time you don't make a point about it, it actually happens. <laughs> it actually happens, yes. And you know what? He already did die last movie. Spoilers, but um, <laughs> I think the statute of limitations has run out for spoilers on Wrath of Khan. I think so too. Um, but yeah, come on. It's it's not funny anymore. It's not clever. Nope. Like This episode Pond was Far made of two very recycled plots. Ponfar is meaningless. That it is. My last minus is also kind of a meta minus, which is like... I really do try not to be this viewer because I don't find it fun to look at TV this way. But like... Star Trek shows at this point had already had multiple actresses leave their casts either temporarily or permanently because they felt sidelined on the show 
or they felt like none of their plots had any substance or merit to them. Mm-hmm. Why would you do this to Jolene Blaylock? Like, it is extreme, like, yes, we know you hired her in part because she's hot, but, like, she has... She's a good actress. She has extremely proven at this point that, like, she also deserved to be cast in the role on her own merits as an actress. Mm-hmm. So, like, why why would you do this, especially this far in, when you've given her some interesting things to do? And I'm sure you could come up with others if you were feeling creative and not exploitative. Mm-hmm. Well, here's hoping that... And also, why did you do this to John Billingsley? <laughs> Made him show up for an, e- for an even earlier makeup call for this? Yeah. Um... Just like, ugh, what a way to treat your actors. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm done. Yeah. This episode sucked. <laughs> I, I enjoyed part of it, but yeah. I enjoyed parts of it. But yeah, overall, is... there were some very, very bad decisions that were made. Mm-hmm. So here's... Please do better next time. It's the season finale. You can't possibly not do better, right? Here's hoping that... Uh, I mean, I expect Enterprise will be changing. Mm-hmm. I understand the next episode is uh, kind of a turning point. That is what I understand as well. Just let's make it a good turning point. Let's hope so. It, you know, there are some people, I don't know if any of them listen to this podcast, but uh, who told us that Enterprise gets really good around season three. Yeah. We're just about there. Yeah, we're going to see whether or not you all lied to us. Yeah, this episode was not a great way to start out 2021, but you know what? We're not going to let it get us down. We're going to have fun making fun of it. We're going to... We did have fun making fun of it. I did, anyway. Yeah, no, I did, too. We're going to enjoy. And I hope all of you are enjoying as well. Speaking of things we have fun making fun of, uh, Mayweather. Yeah, um, he had more than three lines. He had, like, six. None of them were interesting. Mm-hmm. But so... it does mean that most of us did lose on... Lose on the rules. Yep, yep. Um, my, my prediction for next episode, more than three lines. That's mine as well. It's the season finale. They're going to let everybody have a little something to do, right? I think so. And I, I, I'm kind of getting tired of this playing the game where he has like one or two lines. Yeah. Because he pretty rarely has one or two lines. Usually he's either not there or he at least has... An okay number of extremely functional lines, which is, again, what he had in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there's your Bayweather report and forecast. Um, Which means Kirk Award is the last thing we have. Every show, we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. Ugh. Archer, I guess. To Paul. Why T'Pol? Because T'Pol goes mad and does a lot of, like, writhing around on the walls, which William Shatner totally does. True. (laughs) And tries to mate with everything. True. I I guess I felt like Kirk is usually the one being pursued by extremely horny space girls. I'm I'm not... Okay, the meeting... In which case, then, it would be flops. It's more the writhing around on the walls that, like, made me feel like... Like, Jolene Blaylock was taking a little bit of, uh, 
a little bit from the uh, William Shatner School of Acting. Okay, I'm fine with this. Let's give to Paul something for this episode. <laughs> Congratulations to Paul. Oh boy, may this never happen to you again. <laughs> yes. All right, is that it for this? Uh, that this, is this thing. That is. All right. Well, as always, thank you for listening. If you are enjoying this, please tell all your friends and family to join the crew. If you're really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a rating, a review, or signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice. By the way, subscriptions are free. They are. Give yourself a nice free present at the beginning of 2021. Yeah. If you would like to tell us how you how we have brightened your day or give us some suggestions for the show, shoot us an email at at least there's a dog at gmail.com. And we do really mean it about that suggestion for the show. Um, we do kind of alter our format a little bit after each season. Just like Enterprise, we too are happy to shake things up between season two and season three. Yeah, so if a need is present. Let us know what you think. And speaking of which, if you are watching along with us, your next viewing assignment is The Expanse, the season finale of season two, not the really dark and gritty TV show that we got through three episodes of. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I keep hearing it's really good, but it was dark and gritty and I didn't really feel like it. That's the thing. I didn't need that kind of bleakness in my life right now. Yeah. Um, on the opposite end of bleakness, we made it through this entire episode Without me making a joke about how this episode was the quicker, picker, thicker, or quicker, thicker, picker, upper. Indeed, we did. And then you ruined it. Yes. Take care of yourselves. <laughs> and until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye.